Welcome to the Determined Truth Podcast. I want the truth. You can't handle the truth. Where we aim to explore questions of truth, the scriptures, and what it means for the church today. Here's your host, Rob Dalrymple. The end times in the church today, and hopefully we'll be able to bring this all to a climax um, as well. Let's go ahead um, and uh, again just acknowledge the Lord again before we begin. All right, Lord, we thank you again for all that you've given to us, and we've given out a lot of information today, last night and today, and uh, hopefully we can begin to process some of that right now in the Q&A time and throughout the rest of the day and, and the weeks upcoming as well. But Lord, we need your wisdom, we need your insight, we need, we need your discerning spirit. We don't want to process it in light of a worldview that's wrong. We don't want to process it in light of my own bias. We want to process it in light of truth, because we just want to know Jesus Christ and Him crucified. That's all we want. So we can be image bearers of you. We can be those who imitate Christ because we know who you are. So help every one of us, speakers included, to put down our guards and, and our only filter be truth. Um, Lord, be glorified in all things. We thank you and praise you now. In the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, we pray. Amen. All right. So in many ways, I really think what we're going to do here in this last session, uh, and then hopefully processing time in the Q&A, uh, is trying to bring this into a, to a conclusion to some extent um, as well. Now, let's be honest, right? We've only scratched the surface, haven't we? You know, this is only the, the, the mere beginning, and we are thinking very much about maybe even having a part two to this particular seminar uh, in the spring. We'll just do the same thing again with different topics and kind of building off what we've done and bringing people up to speed and maybe doing it. So we're open to that, uh, and we'll see how it goes as well. But what we've discussed from the very beginning was that in my mind and in the speaker's minds, a biblical view of the end times means we need to understand the New Testament in light of the fulfillment. And therefore, it has implications for how we live today. We are not to simply be Christians, in other words, who wait to go to heaven when we die. But the kingdom has already come to the earth. God's building his kingdom on the earth, and he's asked us to be the builders of it through Christ or his spirit through us. And therefore, it has tremendous implications for what it means for us today as well. So let me go over uh, a number of key points. I got nine of them or whatever on this outline here as well. Number one, we must understand that Christ, uh, we must understand that Christ has won. The victory is Christ. Revelation chapter 5, verses 5 and 6. One of the elders said to me, Stop weeping. Behold, the lion that is from the tribe of Judah, the root of David, has overcome. So as to open, it's, open the book and its seven seals. And I saw between the throne and the four living creatures and the elders a lamb standing as if slain, having seven horns and seven eyes, which are the seven spirits of God, sent out into all the earth. One of the key words in the book of Revelation is this word overcome. All right, it's one of the, if you read Revelation, I just encourage you, highlight or underline every time you see overcome. Now, some of your translations might sometimes translate the word conquer. Same word. And if you have a King James that says prevaileth in this particular passage here. Every other time the King James says overcome or conquer, but here it says prevaileth. Same word. Watch what happens to that word. The Lamb has overcome. Thus, Christ reigns from heaven. I referenced 1 Corinthians 15 in the introduction last night. Let's look at it now. 1 Corinthians 15, 22-25. As in Adam all die, so also in Christ all will be made alive. All right, but each in its own order. Christ the first fruits, and after that those who are Christ at His coming. 
Then comes the end, when He delivers up the kingdom to the God and Father, when He has abolished all rule and authority and power, for He must reign until He has put all His enemies under His feet. Notice that carefully. Christ is already reigning. And He must continue to reign until He has put all the enemies under His feet. Then He'll deliver the kingdom to the Father. Christ is already reigning. Colossians chapter 1 says it this way, He has delivered us, past tense, from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of His beloved Son. We are already victorious in Christ Jesus. Paul even says in Ephesians 2, we're already seated with Him in the heavenly realms. We've already been seated with Him. Ephesians 2 verse 5. So the next point then is this, point number 2 on your outline. In the life, death, and resurrection of Christ... And in the coming of the Holy Spirit, the last days have begun. I referenced 1 Corinthians 10 last night. I referenced Acts 2 last night. I also have 2 Timothy 3 on your outlines. In your outline, 2 Timothy 3, Paul says, Hey, Timothy, you need to know this. In the last days, men will be... And he goes on and lists all these things. You should be aware of that. And then he says, And Timothy, avoid such men as these. The point is, these men are already there, Timothy. You should know that they're already there, and you should avoid such men as these. All right, that leaves us, however, with this already not yet tension that we discussed a little bit last night and even briefly this morning. That we have already been delivered from the domain of darkness. We've already been seated with Christ in the heavenly realms. And yet we've not yet been delivered. There's still mourning and crying and pain and death, isn't there? There's still sin. There's still evil. V-Day uh, has come. Is that right? No, D-Day has come, but V-Day is yet to come. Now, what we have to understand is that the relationship between the two ages includes the fact that the blessings of the present age are a taste and guarantee of the age to come. We as Christians do several things, as a matter of ritual perhaps, that actually are testimonies of the age to come already being present now, and we don't realize it. Baptism. It's a symbol, a sign of the defeat of death, of the assurance of the resurrection that we too will someday uh, uh, enjoy. Communion. Communion is the, a foretaste of the heavenly banquet that we do in remembrance of Christ. You see, we often do it, and I'm okay with this, in remembrance of His death. But I think communion is a remembrance of, uh, of the hope that we have of the meal we're going to have in His kingdom. It's a time of rejoicing and a time of reflection. It's a foretaste of His heavenly meal. Paul furthermore refers to the Holy Spirit as a seal and as a deposit. And this is crucial. I mentioned, I think it was last night, we cannot underestimate our, the significance of the role of the Holy Spirit in eschatology, in the study of the end times. The Holy Spirit, Paul says, is a seal, a guarantee, a deposit. The, the phraseology that Paul uses in Ephesians 1, I think that's the reference I have there, there you go, and 2 Corinthians, got to have them both up. The, the, the words he's using is the words of, of, of bartering, of words of, the, the words of commerce, And basically it's this. It's like, look, I promise I'm going to buy this land from you. I promise I'm going to buy this cow from you. I promise I'm going to buy this thing from you. And here's a deposit. 
A down payment. All right? and, and the word down payment is not as good. A numer- and I think the NIV uses down payment uh, in one of the cases. All right. It's not as good because see, a down payment is something you can go, well, you know what? I'm not going to buy it after all. Can I have my money back? The word that's used here in the Greek is a Semitic word for buying something. And it basically says this. Here's my deposit. And this deposit is my word of oath that I will come back and pay in full. And in fact, if I don't come back and pay in full, you keep the deposit. God is telling every one of us, look, I promise you, guarantee you, that I will bring you to my heavenly kingdom. I will bring about my heavenly kingdom on earth, and it's a guarantee that I will do that. Here, take the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit will never leave us, because He can't have it back. It's a word of oath. So the Holy Spirit now is what? He's the sign of the eschaton. He's the sign of the end. If you don't believe the end times have come, you've got to deal with the theology of the Holy Spirit here. The Holy Spirit is what? God living with us. That's what it's all about. That's what it's all about. So as a result of that now, of course, this makes significant implications now. The Holy Spirit is a sign, point number three, that the age to come has arrived. Isaiah 32 says this, Until the Spirit is poured out upon us from on high, and the wilderness becomes a fertile field, and the fertile field is considered as a forest, then justice will dwell in the wilderness, and righteousness will abide in the fertile field. Until the Spirit comes. But for us, the Spirit's come. You see, it's for your good that I go, because if I go, I'll send the Spirit. And the Spirit, of course, was a sign of the eschaton. Ezekiel 37 says it this way, I'll put my spirit within you and you, will come to, and you will come to life and I will place you on your own land. I'll put my spirit within you. That's us. And you will come to life. That's us. We've already been raised. We're simply awaiting the defeat of death fully and finally and ultimately in decay and sin and corruption and all the like as well. Ezekiel 37, Moreover, I'll give you a new heart and I'll put a new spirit within you and I'll remove the heart of stone from your flesh and give you a heart of flesh. And I'll put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes and you'll be careful to observe my ordinances. I wish, one of my favorite things to do in this discussion and the men's retreat, some of you are here from the men's retreat, somebody uh, asked me the question, it was wonderful, is to go into more detail on John 14. All right, let me just touch on it briefly. It's for your good that I go, because I'm going to prepare a place for you, so that where I am, you may be also. And all of us have read that passage as saying, oh, I'm going to go to heaven and prepare a place for you. So that where I go in heaven, that's how we read it, there you may be also. I don't think he was doing that. I think Jesus is going, I'm going away to prepare a place for you. Here. So that when I go, there I will be in your midst. And I'll abide with you. Because he goes on to say, same chapter, John 14, if you abide in me, and the word abide is the same word from abode, well, I'll make our abode with him. If you abide in me, and my word abides in you, then guess what? John 15, I am the vine, you're the branches, if you abide in me. He's telling us that when the Holy Spirit comes, God will dwell amongst us. And that's the Emmanuel principle. I'm not going to heaven to prepare a place for you. I'm going away to prepare so the Holy Spirit can come and fulfill all of God's promises in the here and now. And this is the Emmanuel principle that we discussed already. Number four then, if the promises of God 
our, find fulfillment in Christ and in this church, then we can begin to understand our mission more fully. We can begin to understand our mission more fully. All right, well, what's our mission? Well, let's go back to Genesis, because that's where it all starts. Genesis chapter 12, verse 3, God tells Abraham, in Abraham, and in you, all the families of the earth will be blessed. God didn't call Abraham for Abraham's sake. God didn't call Abraham so he can have, like, this family. God called Abraham so he could bless the world. He could bless the nations. And of course, we continue on throughout the entire Old Testament. And you watch that verse, by the way. Same thing. Watch that verse. The, the promise of blessing. Go through the Old Testament. And then watch it come to the New Testament. What happens in the New Testament? Go ye therefore into all nations. Uh, go and make disciples of all nations. Baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and the Holy Spirit. Teaching them to observe all that I've commanded you. And lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. This is covenant language, isn't it? This is the language of a covenant God who made a covenant with Abraham. If you read the Old Testament, what you'll find, and Isaiah 2 is probably the best example of this, Israel was called, Abraham's offspring, to be a righteous nation, Exodus, 3, Exodus 19, a nation of kings and priests, so that the rest of the nations of the world would see the glory of Yahweh and come flowing into Israel. Isaiah 2. They'll flow upstream into the mountain of, Israel, of Zion. But the people of God were unfaithful. Christ comes and accomplishes the mission. Remember the Gospel of Matthew I mentioned earlier? The Gospel of Matthew portrays Jesus as a new Moses. Five sermons of Jesus. Jesus is living out the history of Israel. He goes into Egypt. He comes out of Egypt. He's baptized in the sea. He goes into the wilderness. He's tempted by the devil. He goes up on a mountain and receives the law. How does the Gospel of Matthew end? The same way Moses' life ended. Moses' life ended on Mount Nebo. And on Mount Nebo, he tells the Israelites, go and take the promised land. The Gospel of Matthew ends with a great commission, but if you read it carefully, verse 16, he went up on a mountainside in Galilee. And he tells his disciples, go into all nations. The great commission is the fulfillment of God's covenant promises. And now we begin to see, oh, what is, oh it's done. Oh, it's done. You see, we're good with the, okay, no more sacrifices. Okay, no more food loss. It's fulfilled. Go, bless the nations. Abraham was commanded to do two things in Genesis 12. There are two commands in Genesis 12 in the Hebrew text. One is go. Go to the land I will show you. The second command is be a blessing. That's the New Testament covenant. Go and be a blessing. That's what we're, that's what we're called to do. That's the mission of the church in the New Testament as well. Now, we must understand, however... Uh, point number, I'm sorry, point number five. There's an eschatological battle between the kingdom of God and the kingdoms of this world. There's a war going on. It's, it's warfare. The kingdom of God versus the kingdom of this world. Now, of course, to be a member of the kingdom of God and discipleship, it means this. If anyone wishes to come after me, he must deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. Whoever wishes to save his life shall lose it. Whoever loses his life for my sake and for the gospel shall save it. What does it profit a man to gain the whole world and forfeit his soul? For what shall a man give in exchange for his soul? See, membership in the kingdom of God means wholesale commitment to the kingdom of God and a denial of the kingdom of this age or of the kingdom of the world. I said in my Matthew class uh, last term, I said, you know, we read the Great Commission, and the Great Commission says, go and make disciples. And what, most of the time what we do in evangelicalism is we don't make disciples, we make converts. 
We get people to convert. And then we don't tell them, oh, guess what? You just signed up for a war to be on Christ's side. And to be on Christ's side, we must deny ourselves, take up our crosses, and follow Him. Because anything other than total allegiance to our king is allegiance to all the other kings of the world. The lust of the flesh, the boasting of what we have and do, that's, that's what we were enslaved to, Paul will say. We were formerly slaves to this world, but we've been redeemed. But we have to make a choice, people. We cannot serve God and mammon. We must either be totally in allegiance to the kingdom of God or in allegiance to the kingdoms of this world. Revelation, Romans chapter 12, verse 2. Do not be conformed to this world, the Greek text says, this age. But be transformed by the renewal of your mind. You see what Paul's getting at? Paul understands the eschaton's arrived and the kingdom of God has come, but you can't conform to, the, to this present age. What do we know about the present age? It's temporary, it's fallen, it's ruled by the devil, and it will eventually be destroyed. Instead, but be transformed by the renewing of our mind. John Stott has a wonderful little book called Radical Disciple. I don't know if you've ever seen it. I just stumbled upon it not long ago. Radical Disciple. And he basically says, oh, by the way, if you are a follower of Christ, that makes you therefore radical. And if you are a follower of Christ, that makes you by definition a disciple. So it's not, this book is not for a radical disciples. It's for everyone who gives allegiance to Christ. And I believe it has eight chapters. What does it mean to be a radical disciple? Chapter number one, nonconformity. We cannot conform to the pattern of this world. We must be transformed by the renewing of our mind. Point number six, the kingdom of God includes the redemption and restoration of the entire creation. Picking up on what Paul has given to us. God is not going to destroy this world and create another one. He's going to take the potter's clay of Jeremiah 18 and refashion this one. That's why Paul can say in 1 Corinthians 15, what we do now matters. Our toil is not in vain. Colossians chapter 1 says it this way. It was the Father's good pleasure for all the fullness to dwell in Him, being Christ, and through Him to reconcile, look at this, all things to Himself. Having made peace through the blood of His cross, through Him, I say, whether things on heaven or things on the earth. Did you ever notice that? Christ is restoring all things. Not just all persons. Christ died to redeem the entire creation. Romans chapter 8 says it this way. The anxious longing of the creation waits eagerly for the revealing of the sons of God. For the creation was subjected to futility. Not of its own will, but because of him who subjected it. In hope that the creation itself will be set free from its slavery to corruption and in the freedom of the glory of the children of God. By the way, the same language says in a few verses later, we too wait anxiously for our redemption, the redemption of our bodies. So both creation and our bodies are awaiting the redemption that is in Christ. All right, the question then becomes, discipleship, point number seven. Discipleship in light of New Testament eschatology. First point, 2 Corinthians 3, verse 18. We all with unveiled faces are beholding as in a mirror the glory of the Lord, are being transformed in the same image from glory to glory, just as the Lord the Spirit. We are being transformed into the same image from glory to glory from God the Spirit. Our goal is not simply to get ourselves saved and to hang in there and do the best until we die. Our goal is to be transformed into His image. That image, you see, this is Genesis language, isn't it? 
We were made in the image of God. We're image bearers. What happened? Sin got in the way. What happened now? Redemption happened now. And now, in Christ, as we begin to bear His image more and more and more, we're growing, all right, and being transformed in the same image from glory to glory. All right, let's go back now to 2 Peter chapter 3 that Clint gave us a teaser on last night. 2 Peter chapter 3, verse 10 says, But the day of the Lord will come like a thief, in which the heavens will pass away with a roar, and the elements will be destroyed with an intense heat, and the earth and its works will be burned up. Since all these things are to be destroyed in this way, what sort of people ought you to be? In holy conduct and godliness, looking for and hastening the coming of the day of God, on account of which the heavens will be destroyed by burning and the elements will melt with intense heat. Now, burning and heat, by the way, is just a reference to judgment. But according to His promise, we are looking for new heavens and new earth in which righteousness dwells. Therefore, beloved, since you look for these things, be diligent to be found in Him in peace, spotless and blameless. We can hasten the coming of Jesus. Peter says the same thing in, in, um, uh, earlier as well, in, the, in the book of Acts as well, by the way. So that he may send Jesus. Repent, he tells the Jewish people. So that he may send Jesus. You see, Clint told us and explained to us last night that prophecy, off, unless, it says, unless it comes with an oath, if, if, the, if, if God gives an oath, then God will say, hey, don't even pray for that because I'm doing it. But if God does not give an oath, prophecy is almost always conditional. You better tell Nineveh they got 40 days to repent, and I'm wiping them out. But he doesn't wipe them out because they repented. What do we find in the New Testament? That if we repent, and the people of the world... See, God's not slow in keeping His promises. He's patient. He wants everyone to come to repentance. When the gospel's been proclaimed throughout the whole world... And all those, perhaps we'd say that, that God is deemed for salvation. Whatever we want, I, don't, I don't like throwing theological stuff in there. Whatever God's deemed is going to happen. When all that's happened, has been fulfilled, Christ will return. So therefore, get to work. We should be looking in the newspapers for the second coming of Jesus. We've got to be reading our Bibles and doing it. And we can speed His coming. Uh, 2 Peter chapter 3 and the book of Acts as well. All right, point number eight. We need to have an awareness of global Christianity. You see, I've done seminars a number of times now on, on the end times. Uh, I've taught in the book of Revelation numerous times. And every once in a while I'll get someone coming up to me you know, at the beginning, and I usually preface things a certain way that kind of leads them to this kind of question. Oh, Rob, the end times can't be here because the end times are all about suffering and tribulation and persevering. And we're not suffering. And my response is, you know, my first thought is, okay, are you just ignorant or stupid? Okay, I don't, I don't say that out loud though. And then I say, okay, God, please help me, because I need to be gracious in this one. Because I used to think this way too, by the way. Have you heard about the Christians in China? Have you heard about what's going on in northern Nigeria? Indonesia? I mean, you see, according to the the New Testament, we're all members of one body, right? So the Christians in China that are in prison right now, that's our brothers and sisters, members of the same body, right? What do you mean this body ain't suffering? It's being tortured. They're being killed. They're being imprisoned every day. We are facing tribulation every day. And Jesus told the disciples, in me you have peace. In the world you have tribulation. 
It ain't come, we ain't waiting for some tribulation at the end. It's now. It's already here. And if you study church history, 2,000 years of what? Tribulation and suffering. We've been blessed in America. Without question, we've been blessed in America. So for the most part, we've been largely spared for that. But think about this. If the left hand has been spared, maybe it's been spared to come to the aid of the right hand. Maybe we have the privileges we have, wealth, prosperity, education, resources, to come to the aid of our brothers and sisters in Christ around the world. Well, whenever you did it for these brothers of mine, you did it for me. But Lord, when did we see you in prison? When did we see you naked? So we stop and go, oh, it's not, about, it's not even happening yet. Not even happening yet, because it's, you know, it's, not, it's not happening to us. And then we ignore our brothers and sisters in need around the world. You see why this is so important? You see why we, we felt we had to put on a seminar about the end times and say, look, a biblical view of the end times means it's now, it's here, it's been here, it's going to be here, and we need to do something, because we have a mission to accomplish. And that mission can make Christ return sooner. And we also have brothers and sisters in Christ that are suffering. And whatever we do for them, we're doing for Christ. This is really, really, really significant and greatly, greatly important as well. All right, conclusion then. Well, we're going to notice Paul ends the book of 1 Corinthians with this phrase, Maranatha, which means, it's Aramaic, by the way, Amen, come, or come, O Lord. Come, O Lord. So we all agree, even though we're fully affirming, in my mind, I hope you're with me, <laughs> I say we, whatever, it's a generic we, um, we're affirming that the, that the end times have begun. But we're also saying, come, Lord Jesus. The last verse in our entire Bible is, come, Lord Jesus. So we all say, amen, come, Lord Jesus. And he's like, well, well dudes, I want to come. Just hurry up. I'm waiting. Would you get to work? Stop reading the newspapers and looking for aliens. Start getting to work. Sorry, Andy. Okay. Here we go. While we're waiting for this hope, number one, we are to be God's lampstands. A major theme in the book of Revelation. Number two, we're to be making disciples of all nations. Number three, we're to teach them to obey everything. See, not making converts and stopping. Making disciples and teaching them to obey everything. Number four, we're to know, of course, that since Christ is with us, the Holy Spirit resides in our hearts. We already experience a taste of the eschaton anyways. Read Hebrews 6, verse 5, by the way. Those who've already tasted the heavenly gift, they've already had a taste of the eschaton. All right? Next, we're to live as kings and priests. Revelation chapter 1, verse 6. All right? We're to live victoriously. The key word in the book of Revelation is overcome. Overcome in Greek is nikao. The noun form of nikao is Nike. Yeah, what you the swoosh. Nike is the goddess of victory. In Revelation, it's overcome, overcome, overcome. Each one of the seven letters ends with, a, with, a, with the encouragement, the one who overcomes, I'll give him the right to eat from the tree of life. I'll make him a pillar in the temple of my God. I'll, give him a, I'll let him sit down on my throne. As I overcame, it sat down with the Father on his throne. We must live victoriously. Over, by the way, nikao means to overcome or to conquer, hence be victorious. We must also face the struggles that are part of the tribulation, kingdom, and perseverance, which are in Jesus, Revelation 1.9. John says, you're my fellow taker, partakers in the tribulation, kingdom, and perseverance. Therefore, we must be prepared to overcome. But notice this. The one who overcomes, I'll grant the right to sit down with me on my throne. Just 
as I overcame and sat down with the Father on his throne. Our overcoming is to be the same overcoming as Jesus' overcoming. But Revelation chapter 5, verses 5 and 6. Do not weep. Behold, the lion from the tribe of Judah has overcome. So as to open the seven seals. And I turned and I looked and I saw a lamb as if it was slain. That's how the lion overcame. He was the lamb that was slain. He was the firstborn from the dead. He's the ruler of the kings of the earth. He has the keys of death in Hades. As we get called into our mission field, as we get called to go out and be kingdom people, living kingdom ethics, as we are empowered by the Holy Spirit, not as we are empowered by our own might and strength, by the way, as the Holy Spirit circumcises our hearts and transforms us, as we do those things, we will face persecution, opposition, and maybe even death, as our brothers and sisters are already doing so. And if we don't do that, if we don't experience those things, then maybe it's because we're called to come to the aid of our brothers and sisters in Christ who are suffering those things as well. Thank you for listening to today's podcast. If you would like more information on the Determined Truth podcast, you can find us on iTunes. You can follow Rob's blog at DeterminedTruth.com or purchase his books on Amazon.com. See you next time.